0: I approach each new year, each January, with a big soup bowl of emotions. Happiness to be alive, warm memories of being with family, anxiety and concerns about my failures of the past year, and taking stock of what I've learned from those non successes. A feeling of satisfaction for a few accomplishments. Anxiety because I know the beginning of the year is a time for taking stock and for reassessing. Were my hopes and dreams for the past year achieved? Were they realistic? Did I hope and dream too much? What underlay those hopes and those dreams? My calling to ministry? My need for achievement? My concerns for others, worries about the state of the world and the community, personal ambition and dreams of travel to exotic places, the desire to learn, fatally compromised by a mild addiction to reruns of family sitcoms late in the evening. Dreams of places to go and things to see. The things to do before I die. As each year passes, these hopes and dreams become more salient. I realize how unrealistic most of my dreams are and have been. But still determined, then comes the priority of setting priority for those places. Which mountain hikes to take? Which sacred places to see? Jerusalem? Ur? Ethiopia, home of the Coptic Christians? I worry that I'll not get to see the treasures of Mesopotamia in Iraq, or Petra in Jordan, or Damascus, or ancient Carthage. How to spend my time in the coming year? Which books to read? Which poets to study? Which walks and hikes to take? And there is the inevitable curse of the new year. How much weight to lose? That question often requires admitting failure over the past year and brings up more than a few feelings of guilt. Or how much money to set aside each month and how to resist buying too many expensive gifts for loved ones. Movies and ordinary restaurants I can resist, but not good seats at good theater. So that's a wash except for occasional ceremonial meals at fine restaurants. Then there's always a short list of new skills to develop, to learn Tai Chi or Spanish, to take a Shakespeare course, a drama class, or, for your sake, singing lessons. Those are the easy ones. The successes and failures, hopes and dreams that are easily visible, predictable, that recur every year. The more difficult ones, the longings, the yearnings, the getting right with God feelings, the awareness that there are people I have wronged intentionally or not, recognition that I need to make peace with all those who feel I have wronged them, whether I meant to or not. Those realizations feel heavier and require genuine character assessment. Do I have the guts, the courage, the true desire to admit and right the wrongs I've enacted? It's so much easier to simply resolve to go on a diet, to plan a trip, to save a set amount, to make a budget and stick to it, even to stop swearing. These things are easy, not that they're minor, but they are commonly shared by many of us. They're predictable, expected. The assessments that are most complex, most challenging to me, the ones that evoke the deepest emotions require taking a hard look at our place. Place in the world, place in the community, place in the universe, place in the hearts of others, place with respect to our own standards. And our own expectations of ourselves. Have I made any progress toward becoming the person I truly want to become? Is the way I feel about myself congruent and consistent with the feelings others have for me? Am I generous enough to wish success for those who are in competition with me? When I look in the mirror every day, how do I feel about the person who looks back out at me? Could I have been more generous in my contributions to the organizations that do good work in the world, like the UU Service Committee, the ACLU, the UUA, the Southern Poverty Law Center, Planned Parenthood, Amnesty International, the Wilderness Coalition, the World Wildlife Fund, the Tibetans, local organizations, and my church. When I still kept up with research in educational psychology, I learned that academic achievement of children is directly related to parental expectations. If parents make it clear that they expect their children to do well in school, to complete their homework assignments, and encourage children to read by modeling and reading aloud to them, setting an example, if parents do a responsible, reliable job of their own household and work duties so that our children are able to see that we practice what we preach, then whatever their innate abilities, children and youth are more likely to succeed in school. The expectations that we parents have become part of the lives of our children. Now, if you're anything like I am, you probably expect way too much of yourself. So, the sorting and learning to be kind to ourselves needs to begin. It's rare, if not impossible, for any of us to achieve all our goals or come up to our own standards and our own expectations for ourselves. Expectations that are too high and probably impossible to meet can have a negative effect. That is, if what we ask of ourselves or others is too much, is unrealistic, the result is rarely an improvement or progress toward the goal. You know, why bother to try if something is all that difficult and it's probably impossible to achieve? If we try and fail... There's no great shame. But if we succeed, we become superheroes. So I have to remember every time I make those lists and resolutions every year to trim or eliminate the ones that I can't realistically achieve. I might learn to read a little Spanish, but to expect myself to become fluent in a year is just not a reasonable expectation. We all need to be gentler with ourselves. The challenge is how to be realistic. Now, as anyone who knows me can report, I never remove that resolution about losing weight. It's there every year. Why is that? Even though it's apparently not realistic. Well, this is where the question of place in the world kicks in. How do we perceive ourselves in the world and how how would we rather think about ourselves? William James told us that the first element of our self-concept is our image of our bodies. Whether we are comfortable with our body image and shape is to focus on place in the family, place in the world, and place in the spiritual universe. Some of us are genetically large. Accepting our big bones and big curves and big hips is a psychological, emotional, and rational process. Why not be honest with ourselves and let our health, rather than our appearance, guide us? There are already way too many people in the world who are hungry all the time, for Pete's sake. Why can't we just be reasonable and healthy? This place, the wait place, is a state of mind. A state of mind we can control without starving and giving up most of the goodies that we enjoy. The question of place and who we are, what we are, how we are in the world, is still deeper. Place isn't all about thinking, or doing or feeling. Place is about being. Being in the world. For stars, we do need to do certain things, gain knowledge. Master skills in order to survive and possibly to succeed at higher levels. But knowledge, skills, and achievement and accomplishment are simply a base for living in the world and a foundation for fundamental emotional comfort. Being in the world in a way that is personally satisfying is far more complex I know a young man who seems to be very successful, has a good job that pays well in a competitive industry. He's a high achiever, works out healthy and strong and not too bad looking. He talks about his place in the world relative to other people all the time. How much money he's earning, the next bigger house he's going to buy, the next fancier car he's going to buy. And his entire life is based on acquisitions and showing other people how financially successful he has become. And that he is. But he's miserably anxious and neurotic. Because no matter how much he earns or what he buys, his place is on an endless treadmill. A never-ending race to show off and gain not only the things he wants, but the praise, recognition, and acknowledgement that he craves. I know this because my daughter used to be married to him. against my advice. But let me tell y'all something. When your children who are in love ask you for advice and what you think about the person they're in love with, don't tell them what you really think. They don't want to hear it. When I asked her what had gone wrong between them, she said, well, Mom, all he talked about, all he talked about was what we were going to buy next. And the advantages and disadvantages of this brand and that He's consumed by a desire for recognition of his material accomplishments. He insists on raising our son in the Jewish tradition, but he doesn't take him to the temple or want to go to family evenings at the temple. Now, this is easy for us here to figure out. This young man is lost. He can't find his place. This young man is looking for his place in the wrong places. At the beginning of each new year, like many of you, I find myself stopping and wondering if I'm in the right place with myself. Have I taken a bad trail? Do I need to change direction? Should I look down a different road? Where should I focus time and energy? What makes me feel proud of myself, or not so proud, or perhaps even ashamed? Where is that real place? Where is that place we try to go that will help us to understand ourselves better and to become more aware? The place where we can put down roots of character and values and where our ethical choices can grow and develop together. So that when we see an injustice, we instinctively know that something needs to be done, just as Jesus would do. Where is that place? That place in each of us that moves us to help a friend or a stranger. Is that place open or is it closed off? We spend our lives looking for a place, finding some place, and changing direction again and again. And because we change, our values change as we refine our moral and ethical thinking, and feelings. The place where we do this is in our hearts and in our minds. The place we search for is a heart and so where we feel confident that we are living each day in a good, solid, simple, kindly way. The place in the world and the place in the universe And the place I want to be is a loving and compassionate place. And I want to be that loving and compassionate person. Like so many other people, I need the reassurance and support of friends and colleagues to help me get there. I need Gretchen, my hairdresser, and I need my diet book, too. I need my budget I need to improve myself in my list of places to see before I die and the things I want to learn. But most of all, most of all, I I need to be around other people who care about finding that real, authentic, genuine place in the heart and place in the world that doesn't depend on superficial or material things. It's a place of comfort and confidence and reassurance that's inhabited by real people who know they aren't perfect, but who strive for a more satisfying place in their physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual worlds. It's a sacred place that is not lonely. It's a sacred place that reassures us that we are loved. It's a sacred place that encourages us to be honest And kind and generous with one another. This morning, with all my imperfections, with you and all of yours, we're together in just such a sacred place a place of hope, a place of personal betterment, a place of dreams and vision, a place of encouragement where children can learn the great lessons of life. A place where children prepare for living their lives with a strong sense of purpose in their hearts. The place where they learn values that will sustain them throughout their lives. We are together in our place. Our place, the place of our hopes and dreams, is right here at All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church where all are welcome this is such a good place because you have made it so you have created a sacred and holy place to hope and dream and to be and to become even more ever more And that is a blessed and wondrous achievement to be proud of. In the name of those sacred hopes and dreams and this holy place, amen.